Welcome to Highlands Church Audio Sermons. Today, April 23rd, 2023, we continue our series titled Knowing Jesus, the Gospel of Luke. Today's sermon, Jesus is Tempted, will be taught to us by Pastor Kevin Yule out of Luke chapter 4, verses 1 through 15. But first, here's a quick recap of last week's sermon. As servants, we need to know the king that we serve. Between verses 23 and 38, you're going to run into Jesus's royal lineage. You know, King David, of course, you know, the second king of Israel, a man after God's own heart, incredibly important. The scripture, Boaz, the, the, the husband of Ruth, uh, Jacob and Isaac, Shem, Noah, Methuselah. And then in verse 38, he mentions the son of Adam and the son of God, which tells me he's lived a human life. He is 100% man. He has the ability then to go and to make a sacrifice of his life for you. He is, a, he is the son of God. He is 100% God. He is the God-man. Come to earth for us. We're going to look at in Luke chapter 4, 1 through 15, uh, at Satan's interaction with Jesus. And there's going to be a lot of temptation talked about and a lot of ploys of the enemy talked about this morning. And uh, if we're not careful, it can get real easy to be so afraid of the enemy that we almost become paralyzed. Uh, I want to take us back to words we just got done singing about here this morning. These are the words of a song that we just sung. I hope they resonated in your mind and heart. Jesus, Jesus, you make the darkness tremble. And so as we lean in and we talk about the enemy who is to be revered, uh, let's not forget where ultimate victory comes and that's in Jesus Christ. And there is nothing that can stand against him. And so although we are gonna give a lot of reverence to the enemy today, and we should, to acknowledge and understand that he is real and that he is after us, uh, we don't need to leave uh, afraid, but we need to be aware, and we need to be aware of how he comes after us, and so that's where we're going to go today. Before we get into the text, uh, let me maybe set it up for you this way. I was thinking about this uh, from 8.10 this morning when I found out I was going to get to be up here uh, till right now, so uh, I'm not a fisherman. I love to catch fish. Uh, I like uh, catching. I don't like fishing. And so every summer for the last 14 years, my family has had the, the beautiful and incredible privilege and honor of getting to go stay with a family in Wisconsin. And Wisconsin's got lakes all over the place. This family happens to live uh, on a beautiful lake called Beaver Lake. And Beaver Lake is beautiful as much as it is a fishing mecca. We get on this pontoon boat, and we'll do about a, a 45 minute to one hour kind of cruise around the lake. And if we don't catch 10 to 12 fish, it's, it's a bad trip. So I mean, we're catching fish about every five minutes, you'll throw a thing in there, and got one. And it doesn't matter what you throw out there. We'll try different lures. We'll, we'll, my dad will take the grandsons and be like, I'm gonna beat you this year, catch more fish, and we'll pick out all these intricate lures. The reality is you can put a rubber band on a hook and catch fish at this lake. They don't care. They see it move, I'm hungry, I'll eat it. It's unbelievable how many fish we catch at this lake and how gullible they are to go after some of the stuff we throw at them. 
Many years before that, I was on a fishing trip up in a river up in Colorado, a fly fishing trip. And we went with a fishing guide and the whole deal, I mean, this guy was into it. He cared more about fish than anyone ever should in their life. So we get out to the river, and there it is. This is where we're going to be fishing, boys. The calm water's right up there. But he takes us downstream, and he puts a filter in the water. And the water's running from upstream down through this filter. And after about two or three minutes, he pulls the filter up, and he goes, oh, look at this, guys. And we walk over, and there's a bunch of black bugs in there. But he pulls out his little, like, diamond spectacle, and he's looking at him, and he goes, oh, man, that's a yellow-bellied warbler right there. Here's the fly you want to use. And he opens up this huge, like, sleeve of flies. And they all look the same. And he's going, no, no, not that one, not that one. I'm like, not, what do you, this is the one you want. And he points to a very specific fly, kind of top left of this big thing of probably a 1,000 flies. And I ask him, why that one and not the one right next to it? They're identical. He goes, oh, no, 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 see, look, if you look real close, you can see there's one little yellow thread wrapped around the top of this one. That makes it a yellow-bellied warbler for the fish. That's stupid. Fish can't see that one little string. So I grab whatever, and I'm fishing, I'm fishing, and I'm not good at fishing. This guy's down the river catching more fish than I can imagine. Just, hey, God! one. Like, hey, good for you. I got another one. I can see the fish in front of me. And I'm floating my stuff out there, and it's floating past, and I'm like, okay, I'm ready, I'm ready, nothing. I'm ready, I'm ready, nothing. To the point where I was like, just give me a bat. I'll club these things, and I'll catch fish, too. I mean, they're right there. I said, man, what's going on? He said, you don't understand how uh, precise a trout's vision is under the water. They're very precise, and they're very picky about what they're going to eat. I thought, man, that's interesting. Here you have trout that can see the difference between a single yellow thread and whatever I was throwing at them, and then you got bass in this lake that will eat a rubber band or your sock if you threw it out there. How different they are. And I say that to say this. Here's the jump to where we're going to go today. I don't know if we're any different Satan throws stuff at us all the time. And his tackle box is endless with the number of things he's going to tempt us with. The question is, are we more like the bass that just swallow anything because we're not aware of what's going on? Or are we more like a trout? Maybe a little more discerning. Maybe aware of how the enemy tends to come at us and so we're on guard against it. We're one of two And if the enemy has got his opportunity, he is going to come after you time and time again. And the reality is sometimes, sometimes when you're fishing, you'll be catching stuff all day on one bait. You know what you never want to do? Change your bait if you're catching fish. I don't know if Satan's any different. Is he throwing the same thing in front of you over and over and over again and getting you every time? Maybe today as we look at how Jesus went toe-to-toe with the devil himself, we can learn a little bit about how we can be ready for how he comes after us. And at the end, maybe we can be a little more discerning about the ways in which the enemy tempts us, not so that we can resist it in our strength, because that's a fool's errand, but that we can lean into the beauty and the power of the Holy Spirit that God has given us as sons and daughters of his and find great victory over sin through Christ. That's where I think he wants to take us today. So let me pray for us, and then we'll dive into our time in the word. God, I thank you. 
I thank you for this book. I thank you for the life that it has been for me and continues to be for me. God, I pray that we would learn as we, as we study the life of Jesus. And God, I pray even this next week for my brothers and sisters here, we might respond to the temptation of the enemy with it is written. It is written, God, that we would know this book, that we would study this truth, not to fill our heads with knowledge, but to allow this to be a lens by which we look at life and we respond to anything this world throws at us. And as sons and daughters of yours, we might go out, live holy, live set apart, live different lives, not in our strength, but in the power of your Holy Spirit as we're gonna hear today. So God, fill us, use your words to guide and direct our thoughts and our hearts. God, I pray your spirit would be at work and that you would change us in a way that only you can. So we love you, we thank you. We pray all this in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So Luke chapter four, we're gonna look at verses one through 15. And uh, for all of you that grabbed these scripture notes or the sermon notes on your way in, I don't know what Thomas put down there. So if it doesn't line up, send your emails to Thomas because that's, that's, he's the one who's got to deal with it. But here's where we're going to go today as we look at this. Here we go, chapter four, verse one. It says this, and Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, before we even move on, let's, let's not shortchange the significance of that statement. Francis Chan wrote an incredible book many years ago called The Forgotten God. It was all about the Holy Spirit. It was all about the fact, the reality that sometimes, and I'm very guilty of this, I pray to God the Father, I thank him for his son, Jesus Christ, but the Holy Spirit kind of becomes the third entity of the Trinity that we kind of go, eh. No, 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 Holy Spirit indwells us. The Holy Spirit is God in us. The Holy Spirit is our chance to do anything with what the enemy throws at us here and now. Through Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit is in us, and he is where our source of power comes and so Jesus right out of the gate wants to make sure that everyone understands he is full of the Holy Spirit. Full of the Holy Spirit. He returns from the Jordan where John the Baptist has just baptized him and he was led by the Spirit. God is absolutely in charge of all of this. The Spirit leads Jesus into the wilderness. Verse two, Jesus is out there for 40 days being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. Understatement of the year, right? It's been four hours since I ate. I could go for a snack. (laughs) Not gonna lie. Go 40 days, I'll eat dirt. Jesus is starving. Felt need in his humanity. He is hungry. He is hungry. He was still human, guys. 100% God, but 100% man. Had the same needs that we had. Food to keep going. Sustenance needed. Felt need in Jesus was he was hungry. And so verse three, so then the devil says to him, if, just, uh, this is just a little mm, to Jesus, right? This is every, every fourth grade playground. You can't do that. Yeah, I can. Prove it. That's what Satan's doing here. Look, oh, if you claim, if you say, I've been watching you since before you were born. I watched as Mary, as you grew in Mary's womb, I was around, I was observing all of it, and I was, I'm, I'm playing this out, and so if you are who you say you are, then prove it. Putting Jesus on the spot, show me, prove it. If you are the son of God, command these stones to become bread. Why bread? 
Well, this is the first temptation Satan's gonna, at least the recorded temptation we have, Satan throws in him. He's going after his felt need. He's going after Jesus' felt need. So what we need to understand, what we need to realize here in this place, in this moment, without any distractions around us, at least for a second, can you identify what is your felt need? What is your felt need? The thing that you would say, I need this. Not a desire, we're gonna get to that next, but a felt need. I have an opportunity to walk alongside a couple of, of young men who are single. You know what, they, you know what their felt need is? I want a companion. I want a partner. I want a wife. I want a girlfriend. I just want somebody to share this beautiful life with me. That is a felt need for them. So you know what my constant encouragement to them is? That's your felt need. You, you long for that. I get it. You, you feel like you need that. Don't let your need for that lower your bar of what you're looking for. Not in a judgmental way, but don't compromise God's truth in order to fill your need. Maybe it's money. Maybe it's, it's I don't know, whatever. You're, identify what your current felt need is. God, I need this. And at least be aware of it and take that to the Lord. Because you know what Satan wants to do? You got a felt need for that? Let me throw, let me throw a lure out. Fake lure. Something that's not gonna quite be what you, what you need, but it's gonna look close enough that you'll go after it. And if we're not aware of how he comes after us, then we're just waiting to suck down a rubber band with a hook in it. Be aware, be aware. Jesus, absolutely aware. He responds this way, verse four. Jesus looks at Satan and says this, it is written. If you got your own Bible, underline that phrase, it is written, because he's gonna use it a lot. It is written, man shall not live by bread alone. He's quoting Deuteronomy 8. Jesus is tempted, he responds with truth. That's gonna be a common theme through these next two temptations as well. When tempted, he responds with truth. That's why this book is so important. That's why this book is so important. Guys, that's why in January, Thomas, Thomas pushed out that whole Get in the Word initiative. Remember, you'd get an email at 5 a.m. in the morning, bing, ah, uh, what? Oh yeah, read the Bible. I get it, it's 5 a.m. You can turn the notification off. Don't give up on the word of God. Stay in it. If you're not in, jump in. Spend some time every day in the, in the pages of this book and look and see and understand what God has called us to do so that when the enemy throws something at you, you can see it, identify it, and go, no, it is written. Here's what God's word says. Verse five, and so then, the devil takes him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. What's going on here? We really don't know. All the kingdoms of the world at that time, maybe. All the kingdoms of the world throughout time, maybe. These are two beings that are not totally like us. They're not limited to some of the things that we are. What is he looking at? We don't know. But what we do know is this, is that Satan is showing him a lot of opportunity for rule and power and authority here and now. Look what he says next. Shows him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment's time and he says to Jesus, to you I will give all this authority and their glory. For it has been delivered to me and I give it to whom I will. If you won't worship me, it will all be yours. There is a lot to unpack here. First off this, uh, he says, to you I will give all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me and I will give it to you. Here's what we need to understand. Go read John 12, 14, 16, Ephesians 2, Ephesians 6. 
This is a fallen world. Fallen world. The prince of this world is Satan. And he is at work. He is at work. Now, before you, you go too far with this, has he been given authority over all things? Yes. Can he do anything without God allowing it? No. Go read Job. Read through the first two chapters of Job. Satan goes, hey, everyone's great. Of course Job loves you. You've given him everything. God goes, all right, tempt him. Don't touch him. Satan can't do anything that God doesn't allow. But for this season, this fallen world, this sinful place that we live, Satan is absolutely real and he is absolutely at work. Go turn on the news for six minutes tonight and you will see that this is a fallen world. There is evil abounding. That is not of the Lord, that is of the enemy. And so when he looks at Jesus and says, look, I will give you this authority here and now, it is his to give, but not outside of the confines of God's sovereignty. God is sovereign. Satan is, is ruler of this world here and now until Christ returns, throws this dude straight into the abyss for all eternity. It'll be a glorious day. But for now, it's his to give. If you only worship me, it will all be yours. What's the appeal here? Well, this is a felt desire, right? He came after his felt need. You need food. I'm gonna I make this stone into bread. Now he comes after his desire. God, Jesus knows why he's come. He's gonna talk about it in a couple weeks about the purpose of why he's come to, to redeem mankind from its sinfulness. And he's gonna take it all, give it to the Father. The Father's gonna give it all to him. He's gonna give it right back to the Father and he's gonna rule over all things. He knows that's the end game. This is Satan trying to go, you don't wanna go God's plan. Let me give it to you my way. Appealing to his felt desire. And so here's the question we gotta wrestle with. What's the felt desire for you? Not felt need, but what do you long for? What do you desire? What is the thing that you would go, man, if I could just have? That's the temptation. That's the one Satan's gonna throw at you. Lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh. What are those things that you desire? Man, I want respect and I will do anything to get it. I want gratification and I will do and compromise anything I need to to get it. I want money. I want this, I want that. What are the desires in you? Are you aware of them? Because the enemy, he's gonna keep throwing it in front of you. And if we're not aware of what it is, it's too easy to swallow it and get hooked, end up compromising a lot of things. What are the desires he's got for you right now? Are you aware of them? Can you call them what they are? I was in between services. I went to my friend Jeff and said, all right, what I screw up? The first hour, because I don't know what I'm doing up here. And he goes, oh, nothing, you did great. But he did say, you don't want to read this passage. And it's a beautiful passage of scripture. James chapter one, verse 14. I don't know if Thomas had it or not. If he did, team in the back is panicking. They'll put it up on the screen. But if not, just listen. James chapter one, verse 14. I'll read verse 13 first. It says, let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil. And he himself tempts no one. Don't think for a second that God's cast on those lures in front of you. He's not. He's not. Verse 14. But each person is being tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desires. Our own desires. Do we know ourselves enough? Are we aware of what God's at work in our heart and our soul? Can we, can we own that so that we're aware of how he comes after us? What are your desires? 
This is the Psalm, Psalm 139, 139 that I've, I've quoted up here often. Search me and know me, God. Try me and know my anxious thoughts. Reveal to me what's going on in my heart and my soul so that I can know what I need to give to you and be aware of out there. I'll give you a, a perfect real life example from my own life. It just happened yesterday. And uh, if this guy is here, I don't even know, he might go here. If he is, I apologize now. I'll apologize to you personally if you come up afterwards. Uh, I got a seven-year-old daughter named McKinley playing soccer. She's on the green team. We got uh, one soccer player and seven cartwheel makers and ladybug chasers on our team. That's just what they, I mean. They're more excited about the snack than the game. And it just so happened yesterday that we only had four players. They play four on four in this league that they're in. Only had four of them. Nobody else showed up. We were playing the blue team. Now, the blue team has a lot of soccer players, and they have a lot of older girls that are playing down for reasons that don't make sense to me in some rec league. And their coach is a great coach, and he has coached these girls up. We're lucky if our girls kick the ball when it's just sitting still on a goal kick. His girls are working passes and passing it backwards and crossing it over the middle, and I'm just like, what? Now, to his credit, his team is great. So great that it was 12 to 1 at halftime. And we come out for the second half, and he is continuing to push his girls to score more goals. And our four girls have been running around for a while, no rest, no break, no anything, and they're tired. And I just remember watching this man coach these kids to continue to score on, on my little girl's team, and I just begin to go, what is the matter with you? And anger began to build up in my soul. I started sizing this guy up. Can I take him? <laughs> He's a big dude. I get one throat punch in. I got him right where I want him, right? I mean, literally, it's just writhing in me. And I'm just stewing and festering on this, and the game is over, and we got our Capri Sun and our fruit strip, and we're ready to go, and the kids get in the car. I'm like, let's go. And my son was in the car, and they're just talking in the back. Da, 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 da. And inside, I'm going, I wonder if I could ever meet that guy where no one from the church is around. What would I do? Oh, man, I'd start here, and then I'd do this. Why? Because inside of me is a black, corrupt heart. And the injustice of what I perceived I was witnessing welled up into a, a spirit of wrath and anger in me to where all of a sudden, I don't know this guy. He's probably an incredible man that all I can think of is, oh, man, I'd love to get that guy. Darkness in me. And if I'm not careful, that's going to stay that's going to stay, and it's going to come out in a hundred different ways. It'll come out with my kids, with my wife, with my coworkers here, because it's in there. I need to be aware of it and go, God, this is in me. I need you to take it, because my desire is for justice Kevin's way. Not good. What is your desire? What is it your desire? Satan comes after Jesus' desire for power. Jesus replies with Deuteronomy 6, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Satan, I'm not gonna eat your fake lure. I see it for what it is. And if I worship you, I'm giving up on the one thing that truly matters and that is God Almighty and I will never choose anything over God Almighty. Can that be said of us? Worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Verse nine, so then he takes him up to Jerusalem. He sets him on the pinnacle of the temple. The temple sat on a cliff, long drop below. And he says to him again, hey, prove it. If you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here. 
But now we got a, a change in the narrative. Something different happens here. Look at the next few words in verse 10. Satan says, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you, and on their hands will they bear you up, lest you strike your foot against the stone. Satan is quoting Psalm 91. What do we learn here? Satan knows truth. Satan knows truth. Go all the way back to Genesis 3. Satan knew truth. He just distorted it with Adam and Eve. Did God really say? Did God really say? Well, God, God thinks if you do, then you... Satan knows truth, and he will manipulate it however he wants to get his way with you. So do we know truth? Can we see it and can we identify when it's been distorted? I had a chance at my, at my old church to, to meet with a lot of couples, especially when I was doing men's and marriage ministry. I met with a lot of couples, and there were at times some men who would sit in my office, and what I would, what I would perceive, in fact, I will stand here and say, I perceived as an abuse of scripture. They would go to Ephesians 5 and they would say, look, Kevin, the Bible clearly says my wife is to submit to me in everything. It does say that. But, but read up a few lines. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and laid himself down for her. Your desire and your longing to, to force your wife to do something she's not comfortable doing is not honoring the Lord. You're using scripture to justify your sin. Same thing with young men when I was doing college ministry and student ministry. They, I would have young men come to me. I'm sorry to pick on dudes. Ladies, I'm sure you got your own thing. Not a lady, hang out with guys. Young men that would come to me and they would say, oh, no, no, Kevin, you know, I, would, I remember doing premarital counseling for two guys, unfortunately. They were far enough apart that it wasn't like, what is happening, but two guys. Fiance in the room looked at me and said, no, no, Kevin, you don't understand. I use pornography as a way to keep our relationship holy because I know God doesn't want me to touch her until we're married, and so this is my outlet to keep this pure. I just remember thinking, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? First off, I want to tell this lady, like, run. You do not want this man leading you. Not my choice to make. But I'll tell you what, counsel I gave was, stop. You are abusing scripture to justify your desires and what you want. Satan is crafty. He will take truth and twist it. Do you know all of scripture? You're the context of scripture. Are you in this book to where you would know, hey, I hear you saying that. That doesn't seem to quite line up with what I know to be true from God's word. Not from your opinion, not from what Kevin said or what Bob told me once. What does the word of God say? No scripture, no truth. Your enemy does. He can use it against you. Verse 12, Jesus, not going to fall for the lure, says this. Jesus answered him, it is said, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, quoting Deuteronomy 6. Satan tempts with scripture, twisting scripture. Jesus replies immediately with absolute truth. You don't put the Lord your God to the test. Know the word of God. Verse 13. And when the devil had ended every temptation, man, imagine that. Satan's got every, every lure in his tackle box he has thrown at, at Jesus. Jesus went toe-to-toe -to -toe and never gave in. After he had ended every temptation, he departed. 
He departed from him until, oh, here it is, an opportune time. Now, the opportune time Satan thinks is going to come later in the garden. It's going to tempt Judas, get everything in motion. Satan believes he has his victory the moment Jesus gives up his spirit on the cross. We just celebrated Easter. Can't keep Jesus down. Jesus, Jesus, darkness trembles at your name. But here's what I want you to underline or think about. Keep in the back of your head at an opportune time. At an opportune time. There are some of us in here that could stand up here on this stage, have on Easter and other times, and profess incredible victory over sin. Look what God has done in my life. And that is beautiful. Let's celebrate it. But don't think for a second that Satan's not still looking for an opportune time to come back. He is. That's how he works. If you know Jesus Christ, he lost the battle for your soul. Now his goal is to distract you from all that you have in the gospel and to tempt you in every way possible to prevent you from being a witness for Jesus Christ through the way you live and the words that you say. He's looking for an opportune time. So if you ever get overly confident, I beat it. Just be careful. In fact, that's what Paul would say. 1 Corinthians 10, last, last one we'll look at here real quick. I think Thomas had this one. Let's see if he did. First, we'll pick it up in verse, uh, yeah, let's go verse 12. 1 Corinthians 10, 12. If you're taking notes, just write this down. Look at it later this week. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. This is a charge. Stay humble, stay dependent. Matthew 5, right? Blessed are the poor in spirit. Realize that what you bring to this party is your sinfulness, so you are in desperate need of Jesus. The day you get proud, the day you get arrogant, the day you think, look what I did, God. Lucky to have me. Take heed lest you fall. That's the warning. Stay humble. Verse 13, here's the good news. No temptation has overcome you that is not common to man. Let's just take that first sentence alone. No temptation has overcome you that is not common to man. You know what the encouragement here is? Whatever you're going through, whatever the enemy's throwing at you, whatever temptation you are facing, both now or in past or in the future, you are not alone. Your brothers and sisters in Christ are in it too or have gone through it too, and that's why this thing called the body of Christ is so powerful. That's why when you sit in a small group or a men's group, a women's group, a a young adult student group, and you sit there and you go, man, I'm just struggling with this, and you actually get real honest and vulnerable and put yourself out there, you know most likely what you're going to find? A brother, sister in Christ that goes, man, so thank you so much for sharing that. I'm there too. And you know now what you have? The two of you linked together through the power of the Holy Spirit and this beautiful thing called the body of Christ to grow together. You know where Satan wants you? Isolated. All by yourself. Keep it hidden. Put on your mask. Look real good. But don't let anybody know what's going on. No, no, no. No temptation you are going through that is not common to man. You are surrounded by people that are in this with you, going through it with you. That's our first encouragement from this passage. Here we go. Next. God. God is faithful. Jesus, Jesus, you make the darkness tremble. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. 
Satan's got his tackle box. He's throwing stuff at you right and left, but God's not gonna let him throw anything at you that you can't handle through the power of the Holy Spirit. And when it comes, he's also gonna provide the way out. That's how faithful God is. There's victory in Jesus Christ. Now, let me go back to my student ministry days. I would often tell them, I basically discipled sophomore guys for a while and then junior guys for a while. 16, 17-year-old young men, you know the type. Many of them had girlfriends. Girlfriends they were very attracted to. I would sit them down constantly and go, hey, look, here's the word of God. God's not gonna tempt you beyond what you can bear, and he's always gonna provide a way out, a way of escape. But that way of escape for you might not be at 11.55 at night after you've been snuggling under the covers for the last three hours watching a movie. That way of escape might come at 6 p.m. at dinner where you go, what do you wanna do next? That's, when you're t- that's where your opportunity to avoid the temptation that is almost, for a 17-year-old dude, I don't know, they can't bear it after some stuff. But you can get out at six, make a decision then. Some of us need to own that. You need to realize and understand how Satan gets you and you need to drive a different way home. You need to make different choices. You need to turn the TV off at certain times, put your phone down after a long, hard day and you're exhausted because that's where the enemy loves to get us the most. Can you identify that here? Can you at least recognize it and go, God, here's where Satan's been getting me? Not in shame. In fact, if you feel any shame in that, that's, that's not of the Lord. 2 Corinthians 7, right? Godly grief produces repentance. Worldly grief produces death. Satan would love for you to live in death and shame, to wallow in that. God wants you to go, you know what? Identify it. Here it is, God. Here's my mess. Would you clean it up? He goes, finally, let me do that. Power of the Holy Spirit in you. Do you know? Do you know how Satan's after you? Are you aware of it? Can you identify it so that you can be ready when it comes next? Satan's crafty. He will take me down every day of the week if I allow him to. How do I allow him to? I forget that I got the Holy Spirit in me. I forget who I am in Christ. I take my eyes off the author and perfecter of my faith, and I begin to look at something different. No different for any one of us in here. Get our eyes back on Jesus. Let me wrap these last two verses up. And Jesus returned in the power of the Holy Spirit to Galilee, and a report about him went out through all the surrounding country, and he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. Hmm, interesting. Jesus does what he's called to do, doesn't give in to Satan, begins to teach the word of God, and people begin to glorify him. God's fulfilling his promise for his boy, and we're about to see his ministry explode in the next several weeks. But he went toe-to-toe with the enemy, toe-to-toe with the enemy so that we would have courage and confidence now. So here's my last closing statement. There might be some of you here. Why are you here? Maybe you don't know. Let me tell you why God has you here. He wants you to know his one and only son, Jesus Christ. And if you have spent any time trying to get things right on your own, trying to get better on your own, trying to, trying to stop doing things and start doing things on your own, today is the day that you just need to say, I'm done, God. I can't do it on my own, because you can't. There is no victory in us. All victory comes through Jesus Christ. So here's the gospel. You and I are sinners. 
We do stupid stuff, we say stupid things, we think stupid things. We are sinners. And to a perfect God, he can't be around it, and so we are separated from God, and God loved you too much to leave you in your sinful state. So he sent his son Jesus, this guy that we've been looking at and will continue to look at in the many weeks to come. Lived a perfect life, went toe-to-toe with the enemy, never gave in. Sinless life, the end of his life, he died a horrible death on a cross for my sins and for yours. They put him in a grave. Satan thought he had victory. We did it. Only to realize three days later, a stone was rolled away. Jesus beat death and is now seated at the right hand of the Father. That's the gospel. What do you believe about Jesus? What do you believe about yourself? Are you a sinner? You need a savior. Only savior is Jesus Christ. There is no other way. And so if today, this morning, you're ready to say, you know what, I'm done. We've heard the gospel. Maybe you've been here a couple weeks, a bunch. Maybe you've prayed this prayer before. Talk to somebody. Go talk to our Follow Jesus team. Talk to the friend that brought you. Why? Because God doesn't want any of us in this alone. And we just want to let you know we're with you. We're for you. I'm going to pray for you and encourage you. But for all of us in here, the rest of us, those of you guys that know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, let me leave you with this. You're going to walk out of this place Satan's gonna continue to throw things in front of you. Lure after lure after lure. Are you aware? Are you aware of what he's throwing at you? Revere it. Revere it. Have, res- have, have a certain amount of respect for it, but don't fear it. You don't fear anybody but Jesus Christ and God alone. Because God has the victory in the end. There's nothing he can throw at you that Jesus can't overcome. Jesus, Jesus, at your name, the darkness trembles, the enemy flees. We're gonna say more about that in just a second. Let me pray for us. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for this book. God, I pray for myself that you would continue to allow me uh, to run to your word. That it is written would be a statement that I don't just state because I know a lot of things, but I say it because it's who I am and who I allow you to define me to be and that I view this world through the lens of your scripture and your word. God, I pray the power of your Holy Spirit over my brothers and sisters here. God, as we get ready even to leave this place, your Holy Spirit would fill us. God, you'd give us victory, not through our flesh, but through your power, that you would get the glory, that we would have great stories to tell of how you've been at work in our life. God, start with me. Pray the same for my brothers and sisters here. We love you, and in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Remember the words of that song. Nothing can, nothing can stand in the power of the great I am. It's not I am great. It's the great I am. We don't overcome sin because of us, because of our ability. We overcome sin because of the power of the Holy Spirit in us and surrendering those things to the Lord. Give those things to the great I am and find victory in that. And we love you guys. It's been so great worshiping with you here this week. You're going to hear me say it often. Service is not over yet. All you watch, oh my gosh, this guy's going to go more? No. Service is not over until you love somebody. Love somebody on your way out. Be a brother or sister in Christ. Thank them for being here. Grab a donut hole. Ask them what God's doing in their life. Discipleship starts around a, a cup of coffee and a donut hole in the lobby. Be a family together. We are not in this alone. We got brothers and sisters up front that would love to pray with you if you need prayer or if you just want to come up and brag on God, 
Come up and find these people. They would love to praise God with you as well together. Have a great rest of your week. See you guys all next weekend.